Welcome to Future Hindsight. I'm Mila Atmos. What's it like to be an everyday activist who believes in the power of knocking on doors? That's our question for today's guest on Future Hindsight, Ben Theodore. He's currently a senior program manager with the New York City Department of Education, has previously taught algebra and worked with the District of Columbia Public Schools and Teach for America. He's here today to discuss his passion for civic engagement. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So you moved to Brooklyn three years ago, and you've committed to be an active citizen and member of this community. Why exactly did you feel that you wanted to be active? I always had the desire to be active and have always tried to be active in different ways, even from back in high school, interning with my local state assemblywoman, helping to organize on my campus during the first Obama campaign when I was in college. But I think moving to Brooklyn was different because my wife and I really saw the community we moved into as a place we wanted to be for the long term. And I felt like I was really contributing to the future of my community, my neighborhood, where I felt like I wanted to put down roots and really feel like I belonged. Being civically engaged is also a great way to meet your neighbors and meet the people who you're going to run into on the sidewalks or see at the same rallies or community meetings along the way. What does your engagement look like? What do you do? In the immediate aftermath of the 2016 election, I was a little bit unsure of that answer. I knew I felt like I wasn't doing enough, but I wasn't sure what the thing I should be doing most with my time was. And so in the months after that, I think I went to meetings of something like 15 to 20 different groups. I went to all of these just trying to find something I could really throw myself into and feel like it was a good fit for me. So where I've ended up is with a couple different groups. The first is a group called Central Brooklyn Independent Democrats, which is a 50-year-old democratic reform club that is really focused on holding our elected officials accountable, electing and supporting progressive politicians who are going to represent our values in the city council, in the state legislature, in statewide office, and has been doing that work for a long time. Local politics are so appealing to me because there's an opportunity to really feel like you're impacting races, like your individual efforts, your group efforts can be decisive in a judge election, in a district leader election, in a state assembly election, and more effective just in terms of the return on your investment of time. I also joined a group that has existed now for about a year and a half, which is New York Senate District 17 for Progress, a group of my neighbors and fellow constituents in our Senate district who felt specifically like our elected representative was not responsive to or interested in the views of his more progressive constituents, felt like we were invisible to our representatives, which is not a good place to be in a democratic society. And so a bunch of my neighbors formed this group with the idea that we should be able to organize all of the progressive voices and make sure that our elected leadership can't ignore us. So whether that was letter writing campaigns, gathering petition signatures, educating people about the state of the balance of power in Albany and why our specific state senator was such a key figure in that. In terms of voter participation this past primary, people being aware of who our elected representatives are and whether or not they're aligned with our interests. And so that's been really rewarding because that's even more hyper-local. Like that is the people on my block, the people in my community organizing around the things that we all believe in, like healthcare, affordable housing, 
honest, non-corrupt government. Tell us a little bit more about how this went in the primary then. So a, a little bit about our state senator. His name is Simcha Felder. He is the decisive vote in Albany. The New York State Senate is composed of 63 senators. 32 were elected as Democrats, 31 were elected as Republicans. And the reason why, among several other factors, that Democrats haven't had a majority in that body this past term is my senator, who, despite being elected as a Democrat, caucuses with the Republicans. He has been unchallenged for years, in part because our state Senate district was drawn with the intention of giving him a district that he couldn't lose, that consolidated communities that he felt like he represented really well, but also includes a lot of neighborhoods and communities and groups that don't feel like he's listening to us. I'll give you one example. I live a block from Ocean Parkway, which is one of the busiest and most dangerous thoroughfares for cars in the borough. There's been a lot of energy around making it safer for pedestrians there. Senator Felder, instead of addressing those concerns, actually tried to raise the speed limit on that road. And there's a road I walk across every day to get to work. I see a lot of children walking to school across that road every day. And so a group of us from this state Senate, 17 for Progress group, met with him and brought signatures and, and voices of people who were saying, this is a bad idea, don't do this. And his response was to modify his bill to raise the speed limit five miles an hour more than he was already proposing. Ultimately, that bill ended up being withdrawn, which was a win for those of us who want to be able to walk to our subways, to our schools safely. But still, I think, indicative of a politician who is not interested in being responsive to his constituents. What that led to was ultimately a challenger for the first time in six years, running against him in the Democratic primary. I have spent a lot of time the last few months volunteering with that campaign, first just helping to collect petition signatures to get him on the ballot. And then I actually took a few days off work this past week to spend the final get out the vote phase of the campaign, really helping to organize and help manage volunteers in my neighborhood to really focus our door knocking and phone banking efforts to turn out a really solid vote total to show our incumbent that he's not actually beloved by everyone in this district, that there are voices he's not listening to, and that there are people who feel a lot differently than he seems to. How did your candidate do? So we lost. Uh, the candidate's name is Blake Morris, who ran a fantastic campaign with very little money, very little support from the Democratic Party. It's a credit to him for running in the first place and also a credit to the hundreds of people in our district who came out, knocked on their neighbors' doors, called their friends, called other members in their community to try to get them to turn out to vote, that we actually substantially increased voter turnout. We overshot what we were hoping to get as a vote total to win the district. It was not enough to beat a very entrenched, very well-funded incumbent. Simply the act of showing that he has real opposition in the district, that we're not going away, that we're going to keep making our voices heard, is really valuable. The tone I've heard from other folks who were involved in that campaign, or even just as volunteers, has been one that's really positive and really forward-looking. We're going to keep having this fight because it's important that the people who represent us actually share the values that we do. You talked about knocking on doors. It's a pretty simple idea to have a real-life conversation about a candidate and the issues in the upcoming election. Why do you think it's so powerful? It makes politics 
real for people. Politics is very often portrayed as like a game or a sport where there are opposing sides and we're the fans on the sidelines and we show up and we cheer and we argue and we watch it like we're at a sports bar watching a game on TV. But that's not what politics is. We as citizens aren't the fans, we're the players. We have the opportunity and also the responsibility to actually impact the outcomes. What is so powerful about having one-on-one conversations in your own community is that that's what makes it real for people. When I knock on my neighbor's doors and tell them about the speed limit on Ocean Parkway, that's not a theoretical policy white paper to them. That's their life. That's their children's safety going to school every morning. Making those connections not only makes the stakes of politics real for people, but it also shows them why their own personal involvement is so important, that these are issues touching their lives. Hearing about that from someone who is your neighbor, your friend, is much more impactful than a piece of literature in the mail or a radio ad or an internet ad, which all can be impactful, but they're not the same as fundamental grassroots organizing. What are the things you hear back from the people that you speak to that might surprise us? So having talked to you know, 100 or so volunteers in the past week on, on this campaign, I think the thing that surprised me the most is just how many of them were first-time volunteers or people who hadn't volunteered in 25 years or in 15 years, that politics and being involved in this way isn't for people who just do this all the time. But there is nothing stopping anyone from hearing about a cause or a candidate that they believe in and showing up at the headquarters and saying, what can I do? Give me a list of doors to knock on. Give me a list of people to call. It doesn't require special policy knowledge to say, hey, neighbor, this is a candidate I believe in and I'm going to vote for and here's why. And I think you should vote for him too. That takes basic civic engagement. This is something you can just show up to and don't have to have prior experience or or certain skill sets or deep levels of policy knowledge. You just need to have something you feel passionate about and the time and energy to devote to it. Mm -hmm. Why would you say it's worth it for every citizen to do this? I think there's two parts to that answer. There's the part of why is it worth it right now? And there's the answer of why is it worth it generally. I think the right now is the part most people seem to get, right? Which is Donald Trump is the president of the United States, despite the fact that he won fewer votes. His party controls every branch of government. The policies they're going to put in place will do significant damage to our generation, to future generations, unless they are met and fought and addressed immediately. You've seen people get more involved both at the national and local level because of this sort of urgent threat we're seeing in D.C. and the threat that it is to so many vulnerable communities and vulnerable people in our neighborhoods. I think the bigger question of why is it important to do this anyway is what it makes me think of is that a lot of people see politics as a very dirty thing. Politics is cynical. Politicians are self-interested. They're only out for themselves. They only serve the people who give them money. But I think that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Politics is ugly because oftentimes people who are drawn to politics are the people who see ways to exploit or profit from that ugliness and that cynicism. And when people who are idealistic, who have empathy for other people in their communities, when those people hear that politics is ugly and cynical and they disengage. And then, of course, the only people left in politics are the people who are drawn to that. 
We need idealistic people in government. We need idealistic people in politics who are in it because they care and they care about the outcomes and they care about the policy choices we make as a society. We just absolutely need people to be involved. Otherwise, you're leaving those decisions to someone else. I totally agree. On that note, you ran for Democratic Party County Committee. Tell us more about that. The Brooklyn or Kings County Democratic Committee is the most local level of the Democratic Party. They make decisions around the party's platform, allocation of resources, the way they engage with the hundreds of thousands of millions of Democrats in Brooklyn. The problem has been that a lot of these seats have historically been empty or filled by people who are appointed to them without knowing it, all in an effort to make this not a transparent system. There's a group in Brooklyn called New Kings Democrats who has, for the past several years, been leading an initiative called Rep Your Block. The idea is they are trying to actually put people who are real committed Democrats on this county committee to ensure that we really do have a voice in our party. I got involved in that through their organization and decided to run for county committee. I needed something like 40 signatures of registered active Democrats in my building or in the apartment building next to mine who were willing to sign a petition that said, I have the right to be on the ballot for this position. And I have to say that was one of the most terrifying experiences to me. It also ended up being a really rewarding experience, not just because I now know a lot of my neighbors who I hadn't had a conversation with before, but also because now I feel like I can more effectively represent those views in the Brooklyn Democratic Party. Congratulations. So while you were collecting these signatures and or while you are canvassing for another candidate, how often do you encounter people who are not of your party? And what happens when you do this? One thing that's interesting about whether it's running for county committee or volunteering in a primary campaign is that you really are only talking to registered Democrats, right? We have a closed primary system here in New York. So the audience of people whose doors you're knocking on is actually very targeted. You're given a list of Democratic voters and you're really going to them. Now, that doesn't mean that every Democrat is the same or vote or cares about all the same issues. I think everyone who's knocked on the door before or called someone for a campaign has some sort of horror story of the interactions that that can lead to. It's really important to be able to engage with someone and hear why they believe what they believe. And so I certainly try to ask people probing questions around what issues matter most to them or how did they come to sort of see a certain issue that way. Do you find that a lot of the people who are registered are actually not going to vote? I think the reality is a lot of people who are registered don't vote. My own state Senate district has one of the lowest voter turnout numbers year after year anywhere in the state. Less than 10,000 votes cast in a race is pretty common for like a state assembly level primary. It's not a naturally occurring phenomenon. It's a policy choice. Like we as a state choose to make voting hard. We choose to not have adequate translation services for every community in our very diverse borough. We choose to not have early voting. We choose to set the deadline to change your party registration to vote in a primary 11 months before that primary. Those are real hurdles and restrictions on people's ability to be engaged citizens. And they didn't just spring up out of nowhere. They're choices by politicians and interest groups 
who have their own personal selfish reasons for maintaining the status quo. They only want the people to vote who are going to be their people. And opening up the process creates uncertainty. The structural impediments to civic engagement and to voting, but also the cultural impediments are both the broader story of whether or not politics is worth it, as well as the very important work of engaging lots of different communities and making sure that politics doesn't look like the same type of person at every level. Since you mentioned earlier about the race in New York 17, and you said that there was a higher voter turnout, what are the numbers? Do you believe that in the end, knocking on doors made a huge difference in the turnout, even though your candidate lost? At the outset of the campaign, every campaign sort of has a, a win number in mind. So they estimate how many voters they think will turn out, and then they try to get 50% of that plus one. In this race, our candidate got something like 2,000 more votes than he thought he would have needed to win this race. Voter turnout was up tremendously across the district. It was up tremendously across New York State. I mean, just to pick a, a broader example, Cynthia Nixon lost by a fairly wide margin to Andrew Cuomo in this primary, but she still got more votes this year than he got winning the primary four years ago. But I do think you saw the impact of our efforts of door knocking, of months of organizing, of campaigning, in just the level of turnout, in the conversations people were having about this race, in even just anecdotally having people walk into our, our staging location and say, I've never volunteered before. I only heard about this candidate a couple days ago when someone knocked on my door, but I feel like it's so important and now I want to go knock on other people's doors. Like that's how you win a campaign. And those wins don't always happen the first time you try, but I think this is now something for us to build off of to continue trying to work to make real change in our communities. It is progress. And ultimately, all you can fight for is progress. And ultimately, progress does lead to victory. It's only a matter of time. Let's change tracks a little bit. How does your professional life, having worked with Teach for America in D.C. and now being with the Department of Education, inform your activism? Obviously, education as an issue matters tremendously to me. It illustrates so much about why politics matters. We all know there are tremendous disparities in the quality of schools in this city. Elected representatives talk about that all the time. It's a part of our national dialogue that there are struggling schools throughout this country. But again, struggling schools aren't a naturally occurring phenomenon. Like you, you don't just end up in a situation where schools aren't serving their kids or aren't serving their, their staff or teachers and not giving them the resources they need to succeed. Those are policy choices that we make as a society. It's something our elected officials choose. It's also something we choose when we choose to vote or not vote on those issues. I'm motivated to be politically engaged because I don't think it's acceptable that there are children in my borough, in my city, who don't have access to a quality education. It's, it's a big reason that I'm motivated to do the work I do professionally. It's certainly a reason I'm motivated to be involved politically outside of work because we can choose a different future, but we need to organize and mobilize and elect people who are going to make that a priority to change. And until we do that on a consistent level, on the local level, on the state level, on the national level, things won't get better naturally. 
we make policy choices, and then we live in the society that's the result of them. And we all are complicit in those choices. When we choose not to be engaged, we are assenting to the status quo, as opposed to fighting for the th way that things could be. I totally agree with you 100%. Looking into the future, what makes you hopeful? Something that constantly gives me hope now is seeing just the volume of people who have gotten involved for the first time, seeing friends and neighbors who wouldn't call themselves like political show up to town halls or show up to campaign headquarters and say, how can I help? I don't necessarily know what to do. I know I can do something and I know that I can bring my energy and my time to this cause and make a positive impact. Seeing more people embrace their own ability to make positive change and contribute to positive change is really inspiring. When I see Brooklynites coming out and turning out to vote and knocking on their neighbors' doors, I know it's not just happening in Brooklyn. I know it's happening um, in cities and towns and counties in every state of this country, and that is the level of engagement and energy we need everywhere um, to create the future we want. Well, thank you for your time today. Thank you for your service and your activism in Brooklyn and elsewhere in the Department of Education. And I'm so impressed that you do this. It's really, really moving. Well, thank, thank you so much. I felt so invigorated, hopeful, and optimistic about our country when I was speaking with Ben. His enthusiasm and drive for investing in his community is so infectious. He's right when he says that if we are not involved, then we leave policy choices to someone else. And further, we assent to the status quo instead of fighting for what could be. His activism is inspiring on all levels, speaking to his neighbors and trying to understand different points of view, engaging with his elected representative on community issues, canvassing for candidates, and now sitting on the Democratic County Committee. The increased level of engagement he has seen firsthand in Brooklyn is indeed playing out in other communities across the country. Record turnouts in the primary, in special elections, and just now in the midterm elections are a big part of the answer to strengthen our social contract. I hope that all of you voted on election day, and if you aren't as engaged as Ben, that you are inspired by his example going forward. How is an equitable education the cornerstone of our democracy? On the next episode of Future Hindsight, our guest is Ted Dintersmith. He's an avid and outspoken education advocate, as well as the author of the book, What School Could Be, Insights and Inspiration from Teachers Across America. With his background as a venture capitalist, he's well-versed in innovation and invites us to reimagine education for the future. We did step up over a century ago when we said we're going from agriculture to manufacturing. It said, what do we need to change in our schools to better prepare our population for a totally different world? I mean, this country can do it. I think the really interesting question on the table is, will we do it? Until next time, I'm Mila Atmos. Thank you for listening to Future Hindsight. The executive producer and host of this program is Mila Atmos. The audio producer and music composer is Peter Fedak. The associate producer is Miriam Tsumbu. Find us online at futurehindsight.com and listen to us through your favorite streaming services. Thank you.